Well, good morning. This morning we are going to be carrying on the second part of our text from Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 37. For our scripture reading this morning. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back and glorifying God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, nor there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, the days will come. When you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, uh, look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just as like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky. So will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the same is what happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and they were drinking and they were buying and they were selling. They were planting and they were building. But on that day, Lot went out from Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop, whose goods are in the house, must not go down and take them. Likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to study your word together. Father, we thank you for the timeliness of your word. That though written long ago to a very different culture, it still is relevant to us today. For your word is eternal and stands true and endures forever. And Father, as we contemplate this continuation of what we saw last time when we were together, as we consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent, at the future coming and the reconciliation of all things, Father, may our hearts long for that day. But as that day is delayed, Father, may we be about the business that we should be about. May we be about making much of your son, Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So the first thing that we want to see from our text this morning is the story of the healed lepers. And for those of you who are watching virtually, I know there's been a lot going around on social media about what is it like to preach to an empty room. 
the reality is because we have a tech team and a worship team and they have all opted for good social distancing, they have spread out around the sanctuary. So I can just kind of move across to the different people in the praise team and I feel like I'm actually pre- preaching to a room full of people. And so that's why that worked out so well last week because some people mentioned to me like, man, it looked like you were just looking at the crowd, like everybody was still there. There were still people here. There were like six of them, but there were still people here. And so it worked out pretty well. So, uh, so what we have starting with is the story of the healed lepers. And it's funny to me, God's providential humor and how stuff works out. So, you know, last week was the first week that we had to go virtual and somebody made a joke about, well, at least we're not preaching about the second coming from Revelation. Ha ha ha. And it was the second coming from Luke. And then this week starts off with a story about uh, 10 guys who had to practice social distancing per the law of Leviticus because they had leprosy and they couldn't go into town and they had to stay away from everybody. And whenever they got near people, they had to scream out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And so I guess all of us could practice what these guys are doing uh, in this text right now. So there's the story of these lepers. So Jesus is leaving one place, he's going to another place. And on the way passing from Samaria to, to Galilee, they run into these 10 lepers who are outside of town. They're not supposed to be around large crowds. They're supposed to let people know that they're there. And they start calling out to Jesus for Jesus to heal them and say, Master, have mercy on us. Heal us. We want you to deliver us from our sickness. And so Jesus said to them, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. I want you to do all the stuff that Moses says you're supposed to do and, and you'll be healed. And on the way to the place where they were supposed to go to present themselves, they were cleansed of their leprosy. It was removed from them on their way to show themselves to the priest. And so uh, Jesus wanted them to follow this pattern of worship. He wanted them to follow this pattern of obedience that was laid out for them in the law. This is what the law says is when you're healed of leprosy, you're supposed to go show yourself to the priest. You're supposed to be obedient and you're supposed to worship God. And so they went to go do that. Along the way, when they realized that they had been healed, one of the ten came back. The other nine guys kept going. They didn't come back to Jesus. They went and did what Jesus told them to do. One of the guys, when he realized that he'd been healed, when he'd been delivered from his leprosy, decided to come back and thank Jesus. And it was the foreigner who came back. It says in our text that he was a Samaritan. Now, this is important to note because in this culture at this time, basically what it meant to be a Samaritan is that you were ethnically, racially uh, a mix. You were uh, part Jewish and part Gentile. That's what it meant to be a Samaritan. And in this culture and at this time, that was abhorrent to the Jewish people. It was worse for them than you being just a pagan Gentile. Uh, Many people in the Jewish nation at this time would practice a habit of actually taking an extra couple of days journey around Samaria just so they wouldn't have to walk through it. That's how much they despise the Samaritan people. And so one of these 10 people who was sick was a Samaritan. And he was the only one who on his way, when he realized that Jesus had healed him, decided to come back and say, thank you. It's the only one. He was the one who was unaccepted, even if he didn't have leprosy. This is how he was already treated. As an outsider and one who was unclean and one who was distant. Even if he were cleansed of his leprosy, people still wouldn't want to touch him and they wouldn't want to be around him and they wouldn't want to engage him. 
And so he was overwhelmed with thankfulness in his heart. And he came back to Jesus and he expressed that. And Jesus asked some very profound questions. He says, were there not ten who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give glory to God except for this foreigner? Your faith has made you well. And it's intriguing that this story is right here just before Jesus moves into his teaching on the second coming. And if you were able to be with us last time in in the the sermons online, if you missed it, but we kind of walk through how all of this ties together. But I left this section out. It's important to see how this works right before Jesus teaches about the second coming. Because the Jewish mindset over the second coming was when the Messiah comes, of course, they would have considered it the first coming, not the second coming. The Jewish mindset of the, the Messiah coming was a conquering king to deliver them from Roman occupation. He's going to come. He's going to throw out our enemies. We're going to get our land back. We're going to have a king seated on the throne like God promised us. Everything's going to be reestablished. All the covenantal promises that are found in at the end of the book of Deuteronomy will be ours again. This is what it's going to look like when our Messiah comes. And then their Messiah came and he didn't look anything like what they thought. And so they really didn't believe that Jesus was it. So now this isn't our Messiah. And so then when he starts talking about the days of the son of man, these people hear it and they still think the first coming because they don't believe Jesus is it. Jesus is teaching it and he's talking about when he comes back again as a true great conquering king to overthrow all sin in the world. And so there's kind of even a confusion in the interpretation just coming through in just a minute because they don't think he's talking about him. They don't think he's talking about him coming again. They think he's talking about whoever the Messiah is going to be coming the first time. So there's all this confusion in their minds. But to set it up, Luke includes the story of these lepers. He includes the story of these people who were outcast and unclean and sick and incapable of rightly worshiping God because of the condition they found themselves to be in, distant and far off and with no hope. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Why does the second coming matter? Because the first coming has been so prominent and majestic. Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Christ has come into the world to deliver us from our spiritual leprosy. Christ has come to remove that which causes us to be outcast. Christ has come to give hope to those who have no hope. Christ has come to give healing to those who cannot heal themselves. Christ has come to bring close those who have to remain far off, which leprosy is a physical picture of the manifestation of the sin in all of our lives. It creates a chasm between us and God. And during his first advent, Christ came to close the gap between God God and man by sacrificing himself on behalf of humanity. And so there's a setup here. The second coming matters because of what happened in the first coming. The first advent, which closed the gap between God and man because of the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his spiritual healing that he has brought. And that spiritual healing isn't just for one particular group of people. That spiritual healing isn't just restricted to one race and to one nation and to one ethnic people group. That spiritual healing is available 
globally. It crosses languages. It crosses uh, borders. It crosses geopolitical realities. It, ca- it crosses all kinds of things. Any sort of cultural, linguistic, racial, ethnic, social, educational, whatever the barricades may be, they're all broken down by the gospel. And Jesus is making this point here. Luke intentionally inserting this story right before the teaching of the second coming is making the point. The son of man has come into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. This is what he's come to do. But there's a day coming. When that's not what he's going to be about. There's a day coming where all things will reach their conclusion. There's a day coming where he will not be coming as the savior of the world, but he will be coming as the conquering king, overthrowing his enemy at last. And when that day comes, there won't be an opportunity for repentance any longer. And Luke is making a stark contrast here. This Jesus right now is able to call out to the leper and say, you can be healed. This Jesus who's coming again is not coming with that message. And these are wedged in here together for us to see the distinction. So the second coming gets picked up in verse 20. And we see the conversation about this. And the Pharisees began to ask as to when the kingdom of God was coming. They wanted to know. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, the kingdom is here right now. Friend, if you are there and you're watching and you're listening and you're and you're curious, the kingdom is not something that we're waiting for. Kingdom is already here. The kingdom was inaugurated at Jesus's first advent, his first coming. He brought the kingdom with him at his birth and at his death and at his resurrection. And the kingdom has been building up ever since then. The coming of the kingdom is not something that we're looking for. The kingdom is something that we are living in. What we're longing for is not the inauguration of the kingdom. We are longing for the culmination of the kingdom. When the kingdom reaches its full width and breadth and height and the king comes and overthrows all of his enemies. This is what Jesus is talking about when he transitions in the next verse. And he says, he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man, but you will not see it. In other words, there's a day coming, Jesus is telling them, when what you're experiencing right now with me in your midst, I'm, I'm present with you. That won't be the case anymore. And you'll want it to be the case, dear friends, these past couple of weeks. Have you not wanted it to be the case? It's been weird days. Strange days. I was joking with uh, Chad even this morning. He looked at me and he said, hey man, what is that? It was a... Uh, a sanitary uh, uh, wipe <laughs> I was carrying around with me. And he goes, hey, where'd you get that? I said, I brought them with me. He said, don't we live in a weird day? People just like toting, you know, sanitary wipes around with them, opening doors with them and stuff. I was like, yeah, we had some groceries delivered to the house. yesterday. We wiped all the boxes down, cleaned the surfaces off. It's like, who does that? 
He's like, yeah, I was in the drive-thru and I was getting a drink and I handed the guy my card and I noticed he was wearing gloves and I was like, oh, I don't have gloves. So he handed me my card back. Chad said, I just pumped, you know, as much hand sanitizer on the card as I could and just wiped that thing down. He's like, I didn't even think about it. Weird days. If you're like me and the stuff that you've been hearing, the reports you've been hearing, the people dying, the people being sick and the economic shutdowns and all the weird things that have been going on, surely you have prayed as I have prayed. Wow, come quickly, Lord Jesus. There are coming days where you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Like you wish he was here, but he's, but he's not. It, it's not. He's not right now. You're going to face difficult times. This is promised all throughout the scripture that there'll be wars and rumors of war and famine and disease and all kinds of things that will take place. And then the end will come. These days are not abnormal. Friends, between now and back when Jesus was first here, you can run through the history of the world and see all kinds of cataclysmic strange things. This actually pales in comparison to some of the things that humanity has experienced since the first advent of Jesus. But it's stuff like this that causes us to long for one of these days and we don't see it. And Jesus says, there's days coming. There's days coming, but they're not here yet. You're longing for a future time. And when that coming occurs, what is it going to be like? It's going to be sudden and expansively felt. That's what it's going to be like. He said he compares it to lightning. He says, just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines into the other part of the sky, so will the son of man be in his day. Lightning is sudden and it's expensive. We have great, amazing light shows here in East Texas when the thunderstorms roll through sometimes. And the sky will be completely still and perfectly dark. And then suddenly out of nowhere, bam, bolt of lightning that runs across the whole side, makes it look like daytime, sudden and expansively felt. And you can drive down the highway after a storm like that, and you can see the effects of it all around you and the trees that have been split apart and the things that have been broken up. It's overwhelming. Jesus said that's what his next coming is going to be like. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be expensive. You can't get really ready for it. You just have to be prepared constantly, which is the point that he's going to make the rest of the way out. But before that can happen, remember, Jesus is still alive when he's telling this. He's having a conversation with the religious leaders and the Pharisees while this is taking place. And he says, but before any of that happens, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. The crucifixion and the resurrection must take place first. That's what Jesus is alluding to. He says before this can happen, something else that you did not expect must take place first. The son of man must be put to death. He must come back from the dead. I'll be rejected by this generation. And consider the circumstances that these people were facing at this time. He begins talking about Noah and he begins talking about Lot. Interesting choices that Jesus uses to illustrate the the concept of the second coming. Why would he use these characters? Well, first, Noah and Lot were both also rejected by their generation. When you go back and you read that story, everyone thought Noah was out of his head. We live in this region where there's little water Depending on your interpretation of that text from Genesis, it may not have ever rained at that point in that region. And this guy is building a boat to sail on the sea. 
Because he says it's going to rain so much that this area is going to be completely underwater. Everyone thought he was crazy. Nobody was cool with Noah. Completely rejected by his generation. Jesus uses that because I have to be, I have to be rejected by this generation. That's what has to take place. He uses the story of Lot. Lot, in comparison to the people that he lived with in Sodom and Gomorrah, was rejected by them because of the way he lived his life. His life was different from those around him. Not necessarily the most morally upright man. He did have his issues, but he was quite different from the people that he lived with in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was rejected by them. And so we see that comparison there. We also see the fact that there was a a great sudden turmoil that took place. And friends, what we need to regard, what we need to remember is that while for us as believers, the second coming is supposed to be a hopeful thing. It's supposed to be a joyful thing. It's supposed to be a thing that brings us peace and comfort and solace. Second coming is marked by severe judgment. The other reason Jesus compares the second coming to the days of Noah and the days of Lot is that both of those in the stories of the scripture were marked by severe judgment. Overwhelming, cataclysmic judgment. So what was going on? Consider the circumstances in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Jesus says, listen, in the days of Noah, they were eating. They were drinking. They were Marrying and being given in marriage. It was business as usual. Life is normal. During the days of Lot, also eating and drinking. They were buying, they selling, planting and building. And friends, we need to understand that Jesus isn't saying that there's anything wrong with these things. There's not anything wrong with these things. There's not anything wrong with eating. There's not anything wrong with drinking. There's not anything wrong with planting and building and buying and selling and marrying and being given in marriage. But your life and my life cannot be consumed by the temporal day-to-day realities. We must first and foremost seek the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us so much in the Gospels. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things will be added to you. So often, more times than not, in my life, it's very true. And I know in many of your lives, it probably is as well. We get distracted by the temporal things of this world. Where are we going to go eat? What are we going to wear? Who are we going to go spend time with? Is the office going to be open today? Am I going to have to work this weekend? What are we going to do for this? And what's the, what do the kids have going on with that? And our, our lives are consumed by the schedule of activity. By the hunger drives of our stomach. By the pleasure drives of our mind. And many of these things are great and good gifts from God. But when they consume the fullness of our thinking, we have neglected the greater thing was the concentration on the kingdom of God. And in the days of Noah, people weren't concerned about what the Lord would or wouldn't do. A great announcement of judgment had been made to that generation. God is coming to judge the world and you need to repent. The scripture teaches us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He went around and declared the truth of the glory of God in his judgment, supplying opportunity for people to repent. And it fell on the silence, fell on deaf ears. They, they did not hear what he had to say. During the days of Lot, there was a warning given out. Even to Lot's son-in-laws, and they ignored his call. 
There was a plea, if we remember, from Abraham before the destruction of the valley in which Sodom and Gomorrah resided. God, if you find even a few righteous men there, wouldn't you spare the city? And yes, I would. And he did not because there were no righteous to be found there except for Lot and his wife and who fled. Friends, so as we as Paul teaches us in the New Testament, whatever we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, let's do it all to the glory of God. Let's make sure that we keep the kingdom of God foremost in our minds. Our lives as Christians cannot be business as usual. It can't just be about making the next paycheck or making the next event or having the next scheduled activity or enjoying the next life. Everything in our lives must be refocused back onto the kingdom of God. I fail at this miserably. So often in life, I'm just distracted by the noise of life. My focus is removed from Jesus. And I just want a little quiet moment to just not think about anything and to pretend that all is well in the world when we know that it's not. We know that the world is broken and we know that it has fallen. We know that the world needs Jesus and we know the world needs the gospel. We know that the Lord is coming again suddenly and unexpectedly like a flash of lightning. And we try to mute that. We try to turn that down. We try to create enough white noise to drown that out, that reality. And friends, for the believer, we can't do that. We must be like Noah. We must be like Lot. We must have first and foremost in our minds the kingdom of God. And when the end comes... As the end approaches, as we sense it and we feel it and we have this greater reality of it, we can't be caught looking back at this life, at this world. He throws in Lot's wife as a reminder. Says the one on the housetop, don't go in and try to get your stuff. Don't go back to the field. Don't turn back. Remember Lot's wife. There was such a longing in her heart for the things of this world that she desired to look back. The last fleeting moments that she could to see it before it was all gone and destroyed. And friends, there's nothing in this world more valuable than the glory of Jesus. Not one thing. And we have to be cautious. And so toward the end of this, he begins talking about two in a bed, two in a field, two at a grinding stone. One is left, one is taken. And there's a lot of debate among the theologians about who's saved and who's judged. Some people say the one who's left is the one who's saved. Some people say the one who's taken is the one who is saved. So there's two there. One's taken, one is left. Friends, I contend this morning that it's the ones who are taken that are the ones who are delivered, the ones who are saved. It's in keeping with the story of Noah. It's in keeping with the story of Lot. Noah was taken out of the larger population. He was placed into the ark. Noah was taken out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was moved to the safe place in the valley. Those who are removed, those who are taken out of the city of destruction and moved into the city of God, these are the ones who are saved. These are the ones who are delivered. And we see this picture, we see this story given to us, this this indication when they ask the question, they say, well, where, where, Lord? They want a location. They want to know, all right, look, if one person is left and one person is taken, where's this happening? I want to make sure I'm in the right place. I want to make sure that I'm not in the wrong spot. If one of, if, if one person's being taken and one person's being left and one of those two people is going to be saved and the other's going to be judged, I want to make sure I'm in the right group. Where, Lord, where? And Jesus answers with a very odd answer. He says, where the body is, 
there also the vultures will be gathered. Again, another reality that we understand all too well here in East Texas. It's a lot of work going on where we live. A lot of habitats being torn down, a lot of buildings going in, a lot of roads being put in. Where I live is a little more rural, and I've seen a number of dead animals between my house and here on a pretty regular basis here lately. It's because they're being uprooted and they're being stirred around. And every time I do, there's the vultures. Why? Because there's a dead body. That's where they go. And so Jesus answers with this almost morbid thing. He says, where the body is, there the vultures will be also. And in the story of Noah, where were the dead bodies? They weren't on the ark. They weren't on the ark. Those who were taken out of that environment and placed in the safety of the ark, which the scripture teaches us in the New Testament, that the ark represents Jesus and deliverance to be found in him. That's the spiritual understanding that we have of the ark. Those who are in Christ, those who are taken out of the city of destruction and placed into the kingdom of God, they have deliverance. The vultures don't come to them. They have life. Vultures don't try to eat things that are alive. They try to eat things that are dead. Where were the dead bodies? Of course, these were completely consumed by the fire, but they were in Sodom and they were in Gomorrah. The living ones were not there. And so what we have is Christ pulling us away. Christ delivering us from the judgment. Because of us, no. Because of value in us, no. Because of any great thing to be found in us, no. But because of what happened at the beginning in the story that seems unrelated, the story of the ten-hilled lepers, Christ has come to save that which was lost. And those who acknowledge their broken estate, who call out for mercy, are delivered and their faith has saved them. Faith in what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these lepers who were to remain outside of the city, they weren't able to be included. They were not being able to be brought in. They weren't able to go into their ark. They weren't able to go to their safe place in the valley. They were distant and far off. These have now been brought close because of the deliverance that has been given to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friend, as you're considering your life, as you're considering what you're going through, as you're considering the difficult times that you face, as you consider all of these things, do not forget, do not neglect, do not put to the side the greater reality of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners like he did the lepers. And I pray that that's true for all of you who are hearing this message today, that you have called out in faith and repentance on the Lord Jesus Christ and he's made you new. If he has not, Today is the day of salvation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved, the scripture says. But if you have called out on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been delivered from your sins, if you've been brought into that safe place like Noah was, like Lot was, if you've been removed from the place of destruction, turn your attention to the kingdom of God. Every moment in life, whether it's eating, whether it's drinking, whether it's marrying, being given in marriage, whether it's buying, whether it's selling, whether it's building, whether it's planting, every moment in life has with it the opportunity to make the focus on the glory of Jesus Christ. Let us not distract ourselves from the beauty and the splendor of Christ Jesus because, friends, he's coming. 
He's coming suddenly and unexpectedly and magnificently like a strike of lightning. And we must just be ready. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you. Thank you for texts like these. Father, that make it clear to us to not be distracted. Father, we thank you for passages like these that warn us, that challenge us, that cause us to examine ourselves. Father, help us to not be distracted. Help us to not think that it's just business as usual. Father, help us to not think that it's just everyday normal life. But Father, we are citizens of the kingdom if we've called out on the name of Christ, if we've been delivered by him, if he has saved our souls. Father, forgive us when we neglect your glory. Father, forgive us when we don't make much of your son, Jesus. Forgive us when we don't find him in those small and what we would consider mundane moments. For Father, every aspect of our lives belongs to him. Father, help us to not forget this. Father, help us as we're pursuing Christ to not do as Lot's wife did and look back. Help us to keep our eyes focused on the glory of our King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.